Welcome to Acts Reformed Church. We are continuing our study in the book of Romans. If you are able, please open up your Bible to the book of Romans, or you can look up here on screen. And let us stand for the reading of God's word. Today's passage is from Romans chapter 2, beginning on verse 11 through 16. And the infallible, inerrant word of God reads as follows. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I ask you for mercy upon me as I preach this text, that I may accurately divide your word, that I would teach as you intend your word to be understood. Lord, this is a heavy portion of scripture, which sometimes may cause us to question, reject, doubt what your word says. May you remind us of your sovereignty and of the infallibility of your word. May your Holy Spirit give us humility to understand and to accept what you have written. We pray you grant us that understanding today and that you would grant us attention to what we'll be learning. This is impossible without your spirit and therefore we ask that you grant us that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I've titled the sermon for today, God is Impartial, Part 1. As we will see next week, we will proceed to the second part of this portion of the text, which emphasizes what the Jewish people think and do in regards to the law. In today's sermon... We will focus on what the Gentiles, meaning those that do not have the law, what their predicament is and what they are looking at when it comes to God's judgment. Okay? So a quick reminder, the letter to the Romans is a liter literary style referred to as a diatribe. I explained this when we did the introduction. A diatribe means that the author, the presenter, is teaching in a manner that he's anticipating somebody asking questions, somebody even objecting or rejecting or doubting what is being taught. And therefore, Paul proceeds to structure his arguments, structure his teaching in a way that those listening will have their answers to the questions they may ask. Now, what would Paul have in mind in this portion of scripture that he's trying to teach? What is Paul's intent? I will suggest to you that in the text we just read, Paul has a threefold purpose to answer some questions. First, he's going to answer the question, is God impartial? That is, does God show favoritism to some? Specifically, does God favor some people according to certain qualities in those people? And then we shall see that there's a distinction between being partial, showing favoritism depending on the subject, versus showing grace, showing mercy. That's two separate things. Secondly, 
Paul is answering the question, what happens to those who do not have the law? Or, what happens to those who die without ever hearing the gospel? Specifically, will God make accommodations, exceptions, in the plan of salvation for such people? Thirdly, we shall see one that perhaps will hit home with us. And that is, upon God's judgment, will we, as religious people, will we be okay because we know the law? Will we be okay because we are aware of the gospel? Specifically, the question would be, we come to church. We're okay, right? Lord, yes? And the context here in this text is that Paul has just finished explaining that men by their nature reject God, suppress God's truth, but still have no excuse due to the natural revelation that's been given to them. Then man in his sin has exchanged the truth of God for a lie and is given to a reprobate mind into all kinds of immorality, specifically sexual immorality. We saw that. This is how we're getting here to this portion of the text. Now, those here in the letter, many of them Jewish, might be, might be thinking something like, yeah, Paul, preach it to us. Tell us. Get them. Those people doing all those evil and wicked things. And Paul here is giving us the understanding, yes, I will give it to them. I will preach against what they're doing. But as God's judgment comes to them, what about you? What about you Jewish hearers at the church in Rome? Some of those Jewish brethren could easily become complacent, could easily just hit the cruise control button. We're good. We're the, we're the chosen people. And Paul very quickly turns up the heat on them and says, yes, you know the commandments of God, but... Are you doers of those commandments or are you hearers only? Therefore, my dear friends, I tell you today, you are today here in church service. That is good. I'm glad you're here. You do well. You may even identify as a Bible-believing Calvinist, Reformed Baptist Christian, to which I say, am. amen, you are one of mine. But Paul also has a word for us today. Perhaps if we are familiar with our culture and the memes, it might go something like this. Paul saying, that's cute. But are you also a hearer or a doer of the word? Yes, all the deviancy, all the sexual deviancy we saw in chapter 1 is in our culture today. All those practicing such immorality and all those approving of such immorality, all those making laws in order to make those uh, practices easier and even tell us that we're going to be in legal trouble if we preach against them, rest assured, judgment will come. It will. They will be judged. But Paul says, what about you? We may think we're likely in, in a safe zone, just as the Jewish people in Paul's day, in his audience specifically there in Rome. So the question for us then is, am I a hearer or am I also a doer of the word? As we look at these three questions that I pose today, we might be in a rush to think of others. Aha, I know someone that is definitely a hearer only. Yet, we are encouraged to meditate, reflect, and apply the scripture, first and foremost, to ourselves. Let's keep that in mind. Let's tackle the first question. <clears throat> Is God impartial? Romans 2.11, it says, For God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. 
Paul has been developing his idea of God's righteousness, God's judgment, God's gospel, with an emphasis that he uses the phrase applies to the Jew and to the Greek. It applies to the Jew, to the Greek. We see that quickly here in the notes, Romans 10, or Romans 2.10. It says that for those who do good, there will be honor for the Jew and the Greek. A verse before that in Romans 2.9, it says that there will be tribulation and distress for those who do evil. For the Jew and for the Greek. Then go back to Romans 1.16. Paul says that there is the power of God to save in his gospel for who? For the Jew and for the Greek. And then one more, Romans 1.13. He says that he wants to go to reap a harvest to those that are at the church of Rome. He says for you, that is the Jews, and Gentiles, that would be the Greek. So then we see that Paul's message, he's addressing the people of the law, the Jews, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, descendants of Abraham, those who were given the oracles of God in the Old Testament, the Jews. And he's also addressing the Greeks. That would be the Gentiles, everyone else. That would be all of us. Perhaps that we might have somebody who is uh, Jewish by ethnicity here. But by and large, that would be the rest of the world, the Gentiles. Now, partiality, what is that? The word used here for partiality means to show favoritism to a person or a group of people, especially in an unjust way, to show favoritism. Scripture warns us against being partial. Leviticus 19.15 says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. And then James 2, verses 8 and 9 says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. <clears throat> so the sin of partiality then is showing favoritism to someone due to their status, their reputation, their financial superiority or inferiority, their popularity, etc., etc. For example, the sin of racism, at the root of it, is the sin of partiality, showing favoritism and treating someone differently, unjustly, due to their ethnicity or their skin color. This partiality is something that everyone is capable of. And at some point, all of us have been partial due to someone's status or appearance. The sin of partiality. But is God partial or impartial? Scripture with certainty tells us God is not partial. There's no favoritism. Scripture warns us not to be partial, not to show unrighteous favoritism. We see here in our text that God is not partial. Another example would be in Acts 10, verse 34 and 35. It says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right, it is acceptable to him. The difference, God, no partiality. Man, partiality, and we're warned not to be so. Man is fallen, God is perfect. Man will show partiality, God is impartial. Man is flawed in his judgments, whereas God is a perfect judge. We see then we will be flawed in our judgments, whereas God is and always will be perfect in his judgments and 
in his mercy. So then an interesting question comes up. Why does God choose? Why does he choose? Did God not choose Israel? Does scripture not say and is clear that he chooses some for salvation? The answer is yes. And we may think there's a paradox. Like how can God not be impartial but yet choose some nation or some people to give them favor? This is when we remember that partiality is showing favoritism based on a false or flawed prejudice of the one doing the judgment on the subjects that he's going to choose. Making an erroneous judgment in prejudice. Is that something God would do? Is God not perfect? So then why did God choose Israel? The scripture gives us the answer. Why does God choose some for salvation and not others? Scripture gives us the answer. And it basically goes something like this. When the scripture is saying why God chose Israel, it makes it clear that it was nothing in them that was great. Nothing in them because they were great in numbers or better than other nations. It was the opposite. He chose them because there were nobodies. And they had nothing going for them. And they were probably worse off sinners than those around them. And God said he would choose them simply because he chose to love them. And he would keep a covenant with them. Through whom he would bring a savior. And in doing so he would bring glory and honor to himself. In simple terms then, God chooses Israel, God chooses men, because he so well pleases to. Now, if somebody were to ask me why I choose something, and that's the answer I give, that would be pretty arrogant. But would that be so of a God who is perfect in his judgments? Of a God who is perfect in his decrees and in his commands? The answer is no. He would be completely and perfectly righteous to do something because he so well pleases. So whereas man will show partiality, God, when he chooses his people, he's not being partial. But he's rather being merciful. Thank God for that. If you were to choose based on any good qualities that we have, we would all be disqualified. All of us. But yet because he is merciful, out of his abundant grace and mercy, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's not that we had something good going on and they go, oh yeah, you know what? I'm going to choose that guy. No. In our weakness, he shows his strength. He chooses people by his pure grace, which is underserved by his pure mercy, instead of giving us the wrath and judgment that we deserve. We get his kindness instead. So does God show partiality? No. He is perfect in his renderings of judgment and decrees and choosings. Moving on to question two. What about those that have not heard? Verse 12 reads, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. The distinction here is made, those that do not have the law, remember? The Greeks, the Gentiles, that would be us. That would be the remote tribe out there who has not heard the gospel. And then those who do have the law, the Jews. 
In today's message, we're primarily focused on those who do not have the law, the Gentiles. Next week, the text that follows will emphasize more on the Jews, those that do have the law. So this question, what happens to those that have not heard? That is a question as old as the writing of the letter of the Romans. I'd comment that in our context, in our culture, in our world, when we evangelize people, when we tell them of the gospel and that they need God, that they're sinners, and there's only one Savior in order to make us right with God, this is a common question. Okay, but wait a minute, I have a question. What happens to, you know, those remote people out there who have never heard? My initial answer to that is, well, that's a cop-out. That's not what we're talking about. But nevertheless, let's entertain that question. See what scripture says. Having established that God is perfectly righteous in his judgments, we are told here, all who have sinned without the law, that means those, those that haven't heard, will also be saved apart from the law, will be made an accommodation so that it could be saved, no. Those that sin without the law will perish without the law. That seems like a harsh truth, doesn't it? If we're honest. But where else can we go other than Scripture? Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. And here it is straightforward. Whether we want to reject it, that's a separate Question. Those who do not have the law are still sinners by nature and choice. Paul established that in Romans 1. He already told us that sinners suppress the truth of God. And that the knowledge of God is naturally available to them in his creation. And yet, man has rejected that truth, suppressed that truth. And exchange the truth of God for a lie. As God has plainly shown, the natural man, it says in verse 28, did not see fit to acknowledge God and prefers his or her sin. Think about this for a bit. The reason why it is hard for us to grasp that, to accept that, to believe that, It's simple. We have a, a very high view of ourselves, of humanity. I'm a relatively good person. Therefore, I deserve goodness from God. And we have a low view of God. God is not holy. He'll put up with sin. He'll give me a pass. He'll make accommodations. In other words, God is not a perfect judge. He's corrupt. And he'll let things slide. That is not scriptural, my beloved brothers and sisters. The truth is, the way we should approach the scriptures, the way we should approach this topic is, I am sinful. Humanity is sinful and deserving of death. Whereas God is holy and I'm not worthy of his presence. And even then, by and large, has God not been overly generous in his common grace to the human population? Do we not mostly enjoy healthy days rather than sick days? Do we not enjoy his creation? Do we not enjoy having a family, having kids, seeing them grow, loving them? Do we not enjoy the blessings that God gives us every day? And for that matter, the rest of creation, of humanity, they too enjoy those things. And that is given on a basis that we don't even deserve that. And that's already been given to us. So rather than approaching God as creditors, I am owed something. 
He should be the other way around. I am a debtor. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. We'll come back to verses 13 and 14. We'll come back to verse 13. Now let's uh, skip to verse 14 and 15 first. <clears throat> it reads as follows. Talking about those who don't have the law. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Okay, so we're exploring the question, what about those that haven't heard? Right, we have a little bit more here. It is a fact that there are those remote folks, even today, who have not heard the gospel. In the days of Paul, it was true then, right? Those that were outside of God's people that didn't know the law, didn't have it. Yet, by instinct, meaning God's common grace and being made in the image of God, every human being has a sense of true morality. Not that humans are mostly good, no, but rather, being image bearers of God, we have a conscience. We have a sense of what is right and wrong. This is what it means when God says that his law is written on the hearts of men. This is a promise going back to Jeremiah 31. Writing the law of God on men's heart. It's a fact. Now the evidence in this people, in these tribes, in this communities where the law is not known, where the gospel hasn't been preached, even there, a hint of true morality is observed. How so? Well, by and large, <coughs> men see it as a virtue to be protectors. Protectors of their tribe, protectors of their family, of their property, etc. That's a virtue. And that's a biblical virtue. It reflects the ultimate transcendent morality of God. Another example, in these settings, stealing is shameful and punishable. In some instances, punishable harshly, even by the cutting of the hand of those who did the stealing. They know stealing is wrong. Lying is not approved of, especially if the offense of lying is to those in authority or to those who are elders of those tribes or communities. Again, sometimes very harshly punishable, up to and including the cutting off of the tongue of those who lied. Now, whether the punishment fits the crime, we see here another example that true morality is experienced by those folks who have no clue what the law is, what the law of God is, let alone the gospel. Why? Because the law of God is written on their hearts. They have a conscience. They know what's right and wrong. Similarly, in those contexts, by and large, mothers lovingly care for and raise their children. Why? Because they have the law of God written on their hearts. That's what they should do. Although humanity suppresses the truth of God, the example I've given before is that you suppress it like a beach ball on a pool is going to come back up. The truth of morality and of being image bearers of God will keep coming back. Our conscience. And although man's judgment is corrupted by sin, it is still inevitable 
that we have a God-given conscience, knowing what is right and wrong. So then what will happen to those who have not heard? The Bible is clear. It says they will perish without the law. Perish. It's the same word from other portions of the New Testament. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, so that those who believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's in the context of perishing eternally. They will perish without the law. Now, can God reveal Himself and give them mercy? Yes, He could. Additionally, Scripture also expresses that those with more knowledge will be judged more harshly. James chapter 3 reminds us of that. It's a warning to those of us that teach. If I study and I spend more time in the Word, in the things of God, I will be judged more harshly. And the opposite is true. The less understanding or knowledge somebody has, they will be judged less harshly. An example of this is when Jesus was rebuking those who had seen his works and yet rejected him. Let us go to Matthew 11, verses 20 to 24. <clears throat> it reads as follows. Talking about Jesus, it says, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. Because they did not repent. Let me pause there. Human objection to those perishing without the law would be, well, if God would only go and do miracles for them. Jesus is saying, I came, I did miracles for you. You rejected them. The skeptic that says, if God would just show himself to me, I would believe. The Bible says, no, you won't. Jesus goes on and says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Will you be brought down... To, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. That is really rough. That is very heavy. Right? Sodom and Gomorrah, we typically refer to it as this, the worst of the worst. Jesus is telling the people that saw his miracles, if they would have saw his miracles, they would have repented. And he's saying, you didn't repent. Therefore, judgment will be more harsh on you than it is for Sodom and Gomorrah. The wages of sin is death. And those who sin without the law, perish, die, condemned. That is rough. I had a hard time studying this this week. But yet, this is what the scriptures say. I cannot accommodate it. I cannot sugarcoat it. What we can do is ask God to give us the grace to understand that his sovereignty and his decrees are higher than our ways. And if anything, it should spark in us a desire to evangelize, to tell people about the gospel, tell people about Jesus. Because they will perish without the gospel, they will perish into damnation. Question number three. <clears throat> what about those who have heard? This is sort of the, the overlap from today and next week. What happened to those that have heard? <clears throat> the last portion of verse 12 into verse 13. It says as follows. 
And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Okay? So those of us who have heard, every single person in this room has heard. And Paul here is mainly addressing the Jewish folks who might be complacent, self-righteous, cruising along, thinking they're okay because they are the chosen people of God. The scripture constantly, relentlessly reminds us of this very fact. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but do what God says. That'll be the proof that you're actually a child of God. Those in Paul's audience who have heard the word of God don't automatically get a pass. All of us here who have heard the word of God, who preach the word of God, we do not automatically get a pass. So then the question, who is justified? <clears throat> who, is, who is made right before God? Who is saved? Is it, and I have the question here in the notes, is it those who believe or those who obey the word of God? Who are the ones who are saved? My answer is yes, both. This is one and the same question because if you truly believe, you will obey God. Period. Let us not be unnecessarily confused and ask, well, is this teaching that we're saved by works? No. Let us go to Romans 4, verses 4 and 5. Now the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Right? Somebody says, you know what? I'm going to be real good. I'm going to strive, and I'm going to be able to do what the commandments say. It says what you do, what you're going to get paid for that, is not going to be a gift, but a due. Going on, it says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So the person who has genuine faith, then, will be saved and the evidence that he has or she has true faith inevitably will be his and her obedience to the gospel there will be fruit in the life of a believer there will be constant repentance in the life of a believer there will be perpetual sanctification of a real believer until we meet Christ face to face We are reminded of what the book of James says, right? That if you say you have faith, but you have no evidence for your faith, your faith is dead. It's just empty words. It's just a show. So then here then the key is the hearers of the law, the hearers of the gospel, applying it to us, we are not saved by hearing it. Now we need to hear it, but we are not saved by it. We are saved by truly believing it. And when we truly believe it, it's going to be manifested in a changed life, in a changed character that, that reflects self-denial and obedience to Jesus' commands. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not say what I tell you. Did Jesus not say that? So my friends, just as Paul was being blunt to the church in Rome, He's being blunt to Acts Reformed Church. Do not be deceived by thinking that because you come to church service or because you have a Bible study at your house or because you lead a Bible study or because you preach or because you're a deacon or because you're the wife of a deacon or you're because you're a child of believing parents that you're going to be okay. I'm including all of us here, okay? Paul says, make no mistake Unless you are a doer of the word, you are not a child of God. And some may say, but wait a minute, like all those things, going to church, holding Bible study, leading Bible study, being a deacon, supporting my husband and being a deacon, congregating faithfully, like isn't that going to count for something? I mean, come on, throw me a bone. 
Scripture says, yes, it will count for your further condemnation because you know more, because you've been exposed to more. That's dangerous. Last verse, 16, says, On that day, when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. On that day, there is a day coming when I will be judged by God. There is a day coming when you will be judged by God. The question will be, were you a hearer or were you a doer of the word? Now, interestingly, Paul here says that each of our secrets will be judged by God. There's a warning, but there's also an encouragement there. Some of those secrets inevitably will be evil. Those that live the double life, that may look like they believe, are in church on Sundays, but the very next day are living in sin without regard to repentance, without regard for coming to God or coming clean with God and with, with the congregation, right? With your brothers and sisters that you should confide in. Often blaming others for your sin. Oh, you know what? If you only knew how he or she is. Blaming others for your sin. It's their fault. I'm fine. My friends, that would be an indication of a hardness of heart. And if we're just putting on a show and we have this sinful lifestyle in secret, Paul says you're going to be judged for those secrets. Luke 12, 3 says, Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the rooftops. Everything will be visible in your judgment, in my judgment. So that's a warning. Now there, there's also an encouragement, which I hadn't thought of before, but one of the commentators I was reading made a good point. He says, there may be some within the household of God that very often keep quiet. They, faith serve, they serve faithfully and are not really recognized or are overlooked. And sometimes they may be discouraged. Right? Judgment it's when something comes and you either get a favorable judgment or, or unfavorable judgment. And the encouragement here is, don't be discouraged. If you are serving God faithfully, just keeping your head down, being faithful, you will be rewarded for that. God is not blind to your humble service to him and his church. 1 Corinthians 15.58 puts it as follows. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Whatever you do for the Lord will never be in vain. And he is not blind to that. All right. <clears throat> Have a few reflections here in closing. First, as we saw, God is impartial. Those who do not have the law are judged because they demonstrate that in their conscience they know what is right and what is wrong. And yet, they cannot keep that. Even their conscience, they still do what's wrong most of the time. Those who do have the law, they have it, but they can't keep it. So all of a sudden, they're in the same boat. Those that sin without the law are in trouble. Those that do have the law can't, can't do it. They are lost too. And God will not show favoritism. He will judge accordingly. Now fortunately, God does show mercy. This should be refreshing. This should be an encouragement for us. God. All right, I heard the gospel. I know the law. I can't, I can't keep it. God shows mercy. 
he is a perfectly just judge. Now think about this. If you were going to go in a trial before a judge, tribunal, wouldn't you be better off knowing, assuring yourself that the judge who's going to be looking at your case is a good and righteous judge? Or would you rather go into a corrupt judge? Know that God is perfect in his judgment. Trust in Christ as your advocate with the Father, and he will vindicate you. Secondly, we should think about what have I done with the revelation God has given me? Your main concern should not be what's going to happen to all those poor people who've never heard the gospel. Rather, your main concern is what am I doing with the message that I've heard? I'm not ignorant of it. Today, you are here. You're listening. But will we be doers of the word? Will we trust Christ by faith? Repent of our sins? Knowing that he's the only one who can give us the righteousness that we need in order to be right with God. If so, this has to. This faith, this trust, must manifest itself in your daily life. If not, you're fooling yourself. And then this text that we read today, this exposition, invites us for a little bit of a more deep reflection. Does my life, does your life, show any signs of the fruit of the Spirit? Do you show that in your daily living? Let's go through them. Love. Do you show love? Starting with those in your household, those that you work with, those in your extended family. Do you show love? Joy. Is the thought of obeying God a burden to you? Or are you joyous knowing that you've been blessed with the knowledge of God? Peace. Are you a peacemaker? And are you at peace with God? And are you at peace with others? Or are you in constant bitterness and conflict and revenge? Are you a peacemaker? Patience. Are you patient in your dealings? Or do you want everything now? What you want without any regard of how you can serve others? Kindness. Do you show kindness, especially when it is undeserved? We know that God showed us kindness when we lose deserved it. Do we show kindness? Goodness. Do you show grace to others? Or are you about getting even for something they did to you? Faithfulness. Are we faithful to God? God has a covenant with us. Are we faithful to him? Or do we have idols? Are we faithful in our covenants of marriage? To love, honor, respect our spouses? Kids? Are you faithful to obey your parents? Remember all the young people here? God tells you to obey your father, to obey your mother. And in doing so, you show love for Jesus. Seti, Nathan, Zeke, Tyler, remember that. Do you show obedience to your parents? When you do, you are telling Jesus, yes, Jesus, I love you and I want to obey you. Gentleness. Do you treat others with care, with humility? Thinking of them higher than yourself. Or are you harsh to others? Gentleness. And then self-control. Can you control your desire to sin? By God's Spirit empowering you, can you control your desire to lust? Can you control your desire, your eagerness to throw a fit of anger? Can you deny yourself and serve and love others instead? 
Now, if we make an honest assessment of these things on ourselves, we quickly, we quickly realize, man, I have no business asking what's going to happen to those people. What's going to happen to me? You see that? What's going to happen to me? What will it be of me knowing that I have the divine revelation of God and I pretty much shoved it aside? Lastly, do you have a desire to please God? To obey God? Perhaps even it may seem that you are playing the game and make it seem as though you are spiritual, but you know you're in disobedience. You know your life is a constant tripping over that same sin, over those same desires of yours in disobedience. God in his mercy today is telling us, repent. If you are hearing this, you have time. You have the opportunity to repent. Now you may say, you know, I can't. I'm, I'm way too lost in my disobedience. That's a lie from the devil. Or you could say, you know, I, I want to. I, I keep trying, but I keep falling on my face. Well, if you recognize your disobedience, if you recognize your sin... There's good news. Jesus came and died for the ungodly. It means the gospel is for you. And the scripture tells us in various instances that the reason we got the law is to be a tutor for us, to lead us to a savior, knowing that we can't do it. Now, when we put our faith in the savior... We're not going to have perfect obedience, but there better be fruit of obedience in our lives. Faith in Christ necessarily will bring obedience to his word. And this is what Paul was referring at the very beginning of Romans in verse 5 when he said that he wants to bring about the obedience of faith. Obedience of faith. May God, through His Spirit and His divine strength, grant us that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for being righteous. Thank You for being the only perfect and impartial judge. Lord, today and these days are times when You call Your church to stop playing games, Lord. Lord Jesus, cleanse your church. Bring repentance to us that we may turn to you for your mercy. That your Holy Spirit would convict us of sin and that we would trust in Christ, our Savior. And as we do so, that we may become doers of the word and not only hearers. Give us that perseverance, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.